Al Jazeera podcast. A year ago this week, Iranians and the world first heard Masa Amini's name. Saturday, September 16th, is the one-year anniversary of her death in police custody. Masa was arrested for supposedly breaching Iran's dress code for women, the chain of events that set off an uprising in Iran. Sparking protests at her funeral, and then across the country, with demonstrators chanting, Woman, Life, Freedom. They are tired of the morality police beating them up, and the Islamic Republic leaders who police their every move. The protests ended months ago, but the repercussions continue. In August, a number of professors in some of Iran's most prestigious universities were sacked. All of them supported last year's protests. Any professors that don't follow that line or have any voices that are different than that of the government are seen as a threat. A month before that, Iranians saw the return of the morality police, as well as added public surveillance measures. Surveillance cameras were installed to identify and penalize unveiled women. The Women Life Freedom Movement forced Iran's morality police off the streets until now. So what does that chant, women, life, freedom, mean today? And is the fight for change in Iran really over? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. My name is Dorsa Jabari. I'm a correspondent for Al Jazeera English. I'm currently in Tehran, in the Iranian capital. And I've been working in Iran on and off for over a decade now. Dorsa was in Tehran when the now-famous photo of Masa Amini in the hospital first went viral. Masa was in a coma following her arrest. Multiple sources said she was beaten in a police truck while in custody. Three days later, her death was announced. It was a very strange time because we didn't know much about her. All we knew was that she was detained and then she suffered some kind of an episode while she was in police custody. And then she was taken to the hospital and she was in a coma four days. And then she had died. There were all these conflicting reports So there was a lot of confusion and there was a lot of anger. And I remember that night, went to the hospital, outside the hospital where she was still being treated. And there was a lot of police presence. Streets around the hospital were blocked off. We couldn't get anywhere near it, but we could already see crowds gathering and people chanting her name, demanding answers from the doctors and officials in the hospital. So there was already a sense that this was a story that wasn't just a normal occurrence. This was something that could really develop, and we saw it happen. Nobody thought anything would come of it to the extent that it did. And what followed was really astonishing to, I can say, pretty much the entire country, from the security apparatuses to ordinary citizens. What happened next would also surprise the world. The protests began two days after she passed away, actually. 
And they started at the universities and they grew. First university students and now school children. These videos were shot in Sakas, Mahsa Amini's hometown in Iran's Kurdistan province. But the protests were not limited to Iranian Kurdistan, nor to schoolgirls. People started coming out onto their balconies and chanting slogans against the system every evening at 9 p.m. And that followed for about four months across the country. And it was the first time we saw demonstrations taking place in all 31 provinces in Iran. The demonstrations quickly evolved into one of the biggest challenges to the Islamic Republic since the 1979 revolution. Schoolgirls across the country flouting the law, some uncovering their hair, many even chanting death to the dictator. That's where it started with her and the women's problems with the system within Iran. And then it grew to people's other issues and grievances with the system, from the economy to the healthcare system to the environment and all the things that are basically a problem for ordinary Iranians. It grew to a size that I've never seen before, especially in the capital anyways. We heard gunshots. I could hear them from the bureau on my way home. There was pellet guns going off tear gas being fired from one side of the street to another. And, and, and then they started arresting people. And uh, I think hundreds and hundreds were arrested. But Dorsa says that despite the ferocity of the initial protests following Masa's death, it's completely different today. There haven't been many protests in the weeks leading up to this anniversary. And she says there are several reasons. I think one of the main points is the Iranian officials, after Massa's death, were not prepared for the response from the people. Now, they are prepared in advance. With the anniversary coming up, already there's a huge security presence in the capital, anyways, in all the major intersections and, and squares. So I think the government is prepared. And I think it would be very difficult to organize or gather in any way, shape or form without risking your life. In what seemed to be a concession to the protesters, Iran's morality police vanished from the streets of Iran at the end of 2022. The head of moral security police of Greater Tehran had been suspended from his role after the death of Masa Amini. The white and green gardens patrol vans used by Iran's morality police seem to have disappeared from the streets of Tehran. But Dorsa says just how significant that move was drew skepticism. And it had to do with how the morality police unit was set up. There was a lot of debate and discussion within the system about how to move forward, what to do with this unit, because this unit is a very particular thing. They weren't police officers, the people who were part of this morality force, and they were reporting to the interior ministry. So it wasn't clear who would be held accountable if something like what happened to Massa happened again. Their power structure wasn't clear. So they were put on hold until the government came up with their own plan. And how I understand it is they have brought them back in July and they don't actually physically confront the women anymore, which is what they were doing in the past. They would drag women into the vans. A video has emerged from Iran showing morality police women assaulting a woman over her mandatory hijab. In the video, a woman with a long red scarf loosely over her head is talking to religious police officers 
She is quickly surrounded by three religious policewomen who grab her. One grabs her by the throat before they briefly pick her up off her feet as she screams. Now they're not allowed to touch them. They verbally approach women. I was with a friend of mine just last week. We were in one of the main squares and there was the van and she wasn't wearing a headscarf. And the policeman told her that she should put it on and she didn't acknowledge him basically. And he said to her, are you deaf? Can you hear me? And she said, I could hear you. I choose to ignore you. And she just kept walking and he didn't do anything. But that doesn't mean women like Dorsa's friend necessarily get away with not wearing the hijab. There are consequences, but they've also changed. Now, instead of taking you away for a re-education class or detaining you, they give you fines, basically a certain amount each time you are seen or caught without a headscarf. And then if you're in your vehicle, your vehicle can be impounded and you have to pay some fines to get it out again. And then it just grows from there. And there, and you can also have money with, taken out of your bank account directly if you're fined. Changes to what's known as the Hijab and Chastity Bill are in the works. Dorsa says it's currently awaiting final approval from Iran's highest officials, the Guardian Council. And the dress code punishments, which already included 74 lashes, just get more severe from there. So more severe financial punishments, not being able to work, not being able to leave the country, not being able to use your mobile phone, not being able to use the internet, not being able to use your bank, being denied healthcare services if you're not dressed appropriately, not being able to get into certain schools, universities, and so on and so forth. So essentially, you become non-existent. After the break, we'll take a look at how Iranians are keeping Masa Amini's memory alive and how the resistance continues despite the government's vicious crackdown. When Truganini died, she was mistakenly declared the last Tasmanian Aboriginal. Though some say she sold out her people, in hindsight, Truganini's survival allowed future generations to learn about the near annihilation of the Aboriginal people of Tasmania. I'm Charles Dance. Listen as I trace the life of Truganini. Hindsight by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Following Masa Amini's death, the government wasn't the only party to change tactics. Al Jazeera correspondent Dorsa Jabari says the Iranian people have also changed how they react when women are harassed on the street for not wearing the hijab. There's so much anger. If you see someone in trouble, there will be a mob of people that will rush to their aid. As we've seen on so many videos on social media, it's not just about a hijab anymore. This, the story has become so much bigger than just the mandatory headscarf or the death of Masa Amini. It's about a whole system that forces a certain way and rule of law and with no room for discussion or amendments. One of the places that's all playing out is at Iran's universities. Just last month, a number of professors were sacked. Universities have always been a thorny issue for the the government because they're the birthplace or the hub, really, of protests. So there's always extra care when it comes to 
the staff and the alumni of these schools. And even during the height of the protests, we saw an, uh, some severe reaction to the demonstrations in the universities and the schools that continued on a daily basis. Dorsa says these professors were seen as being more in line with the students' point of view. So I think the dismissal of certain professors is very much in line with the government trying to clear out any opposition that they may have or they, anyone who may seem to have a different opinion than theirs. So there's no obstacles for them when it comes to the start of the school year and uh, culminating with the around the anniversary of Massa's death. Another reason there's such focus on universities and schools is because of the large numbers of people that pass through Iran's education system. There's a huge number of students across Iran. You know, 98% of the population is educated in the country. So the universities have always been seen as a place of any kind of opposition thinking or a different way of looking at things when it, than the government. And therefore, the ministry is now even imposed stricter rules Whereas if you want to go to the, be part of the school, whether a student or a a faculty, you have to sign a waiver saying you either are in line with what they are saying when it comes to political views and the situation in society, or you refrain from commenting on it, basically. So these are the two options. And if you don't, then you can't be a part of the schools. So I think it's just streamlining their voice and vision for the country. I think it's to be expected. I think basically it's one voice and that's all that there's room for in Iran. So one year later, what happened to all that resistance protesters were channeling? And what does that iconic chant, women, life, freedom, mean today? It looks like women not wearing their headscarf. By not wearing it, they remember her massless memory. And also, it's their passive resistance. It is the most quiet but most powerful thing I've ever seen in Iran. And it's the sight of women not wearing their headscarf. Very simple, but very powerful. You know, women's issues are in any society. Women's issues are not just about women. They don't just affect the women in a society. They, they affect everyone else as well. The support that we've seen for women across the board is a bit of a surprise, yes, that the, the amount of support that women have had from the men in the society, because it's still very much a male-dominated society. But I think it just goes to show that, you know, women's rights are about equal rights and everyone's rights in general as a whole. So I think this society in Iran has finally caught up to that. Women Life Freedom has changed Iran, I think, forever. It has changed the society, it has changed the culture. And I think it is something that will forever be part of Iran now. Whether or not it lasts, whether or not women will be forced again to wear the headscarf, or not down the line, it's difficult to say at this point, but I think women life freedom is now a phrase that is forever part of Iranian culture. The movement continues. 
in different ways, and it is something that is now a part of Iran's history. And that's the take. This episode was produced by Farinisa Campana with Miranda Lynn, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Bazar, Sonia Bagat, Sari Al Khalili, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is the take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.